Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Let's go to chapter 22. This is what it says. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. For the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your comrades, the prophets, and with those who keep the word of this book. Worship God. Father, we thank you for the season that we step into and the hope that it stirs within us. That as we start at the end, which really is a new beginning, we are provoked to have a hope and a faith that you will arrive. You will show up in our places of darkness, in our places of pain, in our places of despair, in our isolation and loneliness, in our conflict, in the violence that is overtaking the world around us, amidst the lies and the deception and the injustice that exists in the world. We see the end of the story and we are reminded you arrive. You show up, and you merely don't just show up, you move in. Thank you that you dwell with us. Thank you that you are here with us. And we pray that you would continue to give us hope for the work that is happening in the world around us. So we pray that in Jesus' name. It's called the spoiler paradox. And the argument goes that if you know the end of the movie, if you know how the book ends before you start it, you will actually enjoy the nuance and the details of the story more. Now, some of you may argue with that. Some of you immediately will say, no, that is not the case. I do not want to know how the movie ends or how the book ends before I start engaging with it. It's called the spoiler. It ruins the story for us. But it was actually a study done right here in our city at UCSD, where they let people know how the story was going to end 
And as they did so, they saw that those that knew how the story ended were able to observe and pay attention to all the nuance and detail of the story. One of the co-authors of the story, Jonathan Levitt, said it this way, once you know how it turns out, it's cognitively easier. You're more comfortable processing the information and can focus on a deeper understanding of the story. As we start Advent today, as we start our calendar year, we start at the end of the story. And the argument that I'll make is, is that as we know the end of the story, the more today we are able to pay attention to the work of God in the world around us. The more awareness and understanding we're able to have of how he is at work in the lives of the people around us and in, in, in our own lives. The word Advent literally means arrival. Particularly speaking, the arrival of a, no, a notable person. And so Advent, again, is the start of the church calendar. It starts with the second coming. And, and give me a, a quick aside to say that as, as we say that, the, that Advent starts at the end of the story, when we say end, really what we're reflecting on is that Advent starts, we reflect on the new beginning, where all will be made new and all will be made right. Because it's not where life ends, but it's where our lives truly begin. The church has wisely said, as she has crafted her calendar, let's remember how the story ends, because that will provoke hope within us. This is what will allow us to more clearly see the Lord's arrival in our everyday living. What does the end of the story tell us? Jesus is coming soon. How long? Not long. Jesus is coming soon. And here in Revelation, John writes to the church and lets us know. He gives us a vision. He gives us a detail of a Jesus that is impossible to fully put into words. That as we start at the end of the story, what we reflect on is that as the authors of Scripture have tried to describe what it is like to see this one who is coming, they write with words that are filled with terror and trembling. Do you realize who is on his way? Do you realize who it is that is coming? The authors of Scripture try to capture the imagination of the church. They let them know. Beloved church, what an awesome and holy God that is coming to make his home amongst us to dwell with, here with us. Do you understand who is on his way? And the normal response in Scripture 
for those that get a glimpse of the one who is coming is terror. It's rejoicing and it's trembling. That as John even describes it at the beginning of his revelation in the book of Revelation, he says that when he sees this vision, he falls down as one that is dead, overcome, overwhelmed by the sight of the one who is on his way. I like the way that Rachel Gilson describes it in the devotional on Advent that was handed out to you on the way through your door. She says it this way, the second coming of Jesus will in no way be subtle. Advent stirs up our imaginations and it helps our minds to develop a bigger picture of Jesus gives us an expansive view of God. It, it expands the horizons of our understanding of who he is. To gaze at him is to be changed. A glimpse of God will not leave us unchanged or unresponsive. To gaze at Jesus is to be transformed. No reaction is an impossibility. Where scripture even tells us that it's at his name that eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Because to not respond is unimaginable. Listen to the way that the Apostle Paul reflects on it in 2 Corinthians. He says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That to look at him, to behold him, to stop and to grow in awareness of his presence here with us, that is the place of transformation. One of my current favorite worship songs is by Maverick City Music, and it's, it's simply titled Remember. And, and the bridge of this song just, again, simply says this. This is our Savior. Look at him. Look at him. Our Christ Redeemer. Look at him. Look at him. Oh, our Christ Redeemer. Look at him. Would you just look at him? Look at him. Friends, the invitation of Advent is to look at Jesus. Look at him. To find time in your day. To find time in your life rhythms. To have a habit and a discipline to pause and to look at Jesus. To stop. And to become more aware. He's on his way. He will arrive. He is coming to dwell with you. Look at him. Pray that you will have a greater understanding of who he is. Share in the prayer of all of the saints throughout history that stops and that says, God, give us the strength to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of your love for us. 
Let us not be content with our current understanding and image of who Jesus is, but Advent is a place that provokes us to stop and to again get lost in the mystery and the wonder of who Jesus is. Would we stop and just look at him? Do you understand the one that is on his way? The one that causes the apostles and the angels and the elders of heaven to to fall face down, to rejoice and tremble before, before him. Because to behold Jesus is the place of transformation. And it's the place that we tremble. And I think partly the reason that we tremble before the sight of the Lord is because all of a sudden we're transported into an environment that is no longer made by human hands. Because you think about it, our day in, day out living, every space that we navigated has been crafted by our own preferences. It's been designed so that we might feel comfortable in what we might like. Our, our living rooms have been designed by us. Our very homes have been crafted by us. All the spaces that we navigate, the roads that we travel on, the businesses that we work in, the societies that we interact with, they are crafted from human perspective. And to find time where we would to step into the presence of Jesus is to be reminded that we are not the ones that are in control. There is someone greater. There is someone else that we need to turn our attention to. There's someone else that we need to surrender our preferences and our understandings to. To step into his presence is the place of trembling because all of a sudden we realize, like Isaiah does, woe is me! For I am a man of unclean lips, and I am of a people of unclean lips. It's the place where we stop and we recognize this, this is a new and foreign environment to me, and I can't help but to recognize this is not what I am used to. When Larissa and I first got married, her family was living in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I would go visit them around this time of year during the Christmas season. And we would go on hikes in the woods. And one day as we were hiking through the woods of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, I stop and I am absolutely terrified. Because what I see ahead of me is the hind leg of a dark animal. And I stop and I say, guys, there's a bear! And they look at me with absolute laughter, covering their faces, and they say, that's a cow. It was, it was a scary cow. I, I, growing up in L.A., I, I had no context for the environment that I was navigating. I was in a new space. And that new space caused me to live with heightened awareness. I'm not familiar with these, this ground that I walk upon. And there was a sense of trembling that was there within me. To be in the presence of Jesus is to be shocked 
out of our familiarity and comfort. We're placed in a new environment. Specifically, we're in a place where life no longer revolves around us. Because we stop and we remember that there is one that is greater than us. One who overwhelms our senses. Michael Reeves, in a book that I absolutely recommend to you called um, Rejoice and Tremble, says it this way. The grandeur of God pulls our focus up and away from ourselves. We wonder at a being greater than us. We therefore diminish. His magnificence distracts us and woos us from our daily self-obsession, and we develop a taste for something other than ourselves. At the same time, our thoughts are lifted and cleansed as we consider one who is greater and purer than us. Our tastes, our appetites, our desires are reshaped and transformed as we pay attention to Jesus. We give our attention to Jesus And in doing so, we have to let go of a world made in our image. We cannot, as we look at Jesus, hold on to our idols, continue to hold on to our world, crafted according to our likeness, and continue to worship him. We're forced to a place of surrender. We're forced to a place of saying, God, it's you. Like the Apostle Peter confesses, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is a great place to be in our places of trembling because it causes us to, causes us to have hope that things can be different. Our world can be different. Our living can be different. When we stop and we look at the one who is coming, we get to experience the wonder, holiness, love, kindness, mercy, and grace of our God. And what it, what it causes to happen, it creates within us a desire for him to reign over our world. Advent is the place where we cry out for God to arrive in our lives, and in the world around us. God, come and have more significance and authority in the world around me. Woo us away from how our lives currently are. Give us greater vision for what can be. By reflecting on his second coming, we begin to pray things like, Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God, we desire for you to arrive here and now. And as you arrive here, change how we live. To start at the end of the story gives us a proclamation to the world. We get to tell them what the rules 
and reign and very real presence of Jesus is like. And so by starting at the end of the story, we're filled with hope. John gets a vision of the coming of Jesus. And now he lives a life filled with expectancy. And this is the story. When we see God, we are filled with expectancy. I like the way that Glenn Pathium says it. He says, in Advent, the church stands between two proclamations. God has come, and come, Lord Jesus. The first grounds our confidence that the second will be answered. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus shapes our hope in the return, reign, and renewal to come. Because God has already come, we are filled with confidence. We have a hope that all will be made new. Because how can we get a glimpse of this God and not conclude that everything will go according to his will and purposes? How can we stand before his wonder, his majesty, his holiness, his glory, his love, his mercy, and his grace, and not conclude his will will prevail? See, more than Thanos, he's the inevitability. Things will go in the direction of his will. Try, try as it might, the, the earth will never get the sun to rotate around it. It just won't happen. But the sheer mass and weight of the sun dictates that the earth will rotate around it. The holiness, glory, majesty, wonder, might of who our God is causes us to be able to see him, causes us to conclude history will go in the direction of this one. Things will go according to him. And like Gamaliel in the book of Acts, as he sees the apostles going and preaching of this one Jesus, as he turns to the rest of the Sadducees, this is what he says. Keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if, for if this plan or this undertaking is, is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. When we look at God and we get a glimpse of him is to conclude everything will eventually come into orbit around him. I, I have nieces who are just absolute powerhouses. The, just the, the, the weight of their personality. Uh, you've seen kids like this on the playground. That as they're running around and as they're playing and interacting, you just know by observing them that eventually all, all other play will begin to rotate around them. And so my nieces, as they, as they play, their creativity, their joy, their wit, just the gravitational force of who they are, all of a sudden play begins to rotate around them. To get a glimpse of, of Jesus is to remind us if he's for us, what can be against us? 
Listen to the words of Dr. King. Now the fact that this new age is emerging reveals something basic about the universe. It tells us something about the core and heartbeat of the cosmos. It reminds us that the universe is on the side of justice. It says to those who struggle for justice, you do not struggle alone, but God struggles with you. This belief that God is on the side of truth and justice comes down from the long tradition of our Christian faith. There is something at the very center of our faith which reminds us that Good Friday may occupy the throne for a day, but ultimately it must give way to the triumphant beat of the drums of Easter. Evil may so shape the events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross, but one day that same Christ will rise up and split history into A.D. and B.C., so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. There is something in the universe that justifies Carlyle in saying, no lie can live forever. There is something in the universe which justifies William Colin Bryant in saying, truth crushed to the earth will rise again. There is something in the universe that justifies James Russell Lowell in saying, truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown stands God, within the shadows keeping watch above his own. What does Advent tell us? No lie can live forever. Darkness will not win. Evil will be exposed. Death will die. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Advent stirs our hearts to hope. God's will will prevail. He's on the way. He will arrive. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. See, John writes with more certainty and urgency than the shouts of Paul Revere. This is what he says, and the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. This is the hope we live with. Jesus arrives. He does show up. He is faithful. He is certain. He will arrive in our current place of waiting. I saw this line in the song, Oh Holy Night. I mean, I've sung it. I've sung it a hundred times. But for some reason, it just popped off the, the page 
to me this week. And it just simply says this, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. His arrival teaches us just how much we mean to him. It's in his presence and only in his presence that we properly understand who we are. His presence is meant to be where we find our value, our worth, our dignity. And I believe that's why this song goes on to say, truly he has taught us to love one another. Chains shall he break. And his name, in his name, all oppression shall cease because he arrived and he teaches us this is your worth this is your value this is what you mean to me and my arrival is to bring assurance confidence hope to you i am moving on your behalf I'm working things together for the good of my people. I will arrive. I will dwell with you. I will be with you. It's, it's the same texture of the stunned response of the psalmist. Who's man that you're mindful of him? For you see, for those that are weary, we can rejoice because we have incomprehensible worth to Jesus. He sees us, he knows us, he will dwell with us, and he will wipe away every tear. He will put death to death for us. His will will prevail. Listen to the Apostle John again. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. They will see his face, and, on, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. It's been long observed. Advent starts in the darkness. The, the church has wisely placed the beginning of our calendar year in the time of year where night is getting longer and daylight is getting shorter. The church has wisely said, this is, this is where our year is going to start. Because we have a hope that God will pierce the darkness. Where we are at in our journey around the sun is the position where the nights are getting longer and the daytime is getting shorter. But we navigate this time of year with historic understanding. Winter will end. We have an expectation 
that this year the earth will not break its orbit. It will not suddenly shoot off into the empty darkness of space. I, I don't think any of us woke up this morning, opened up our window, windows, and were absolutely shocked. Oh my goodness! The sun rose again! We have expectation. We go to sleep with a hope that the sun will rise. And the second coming tells us Jesus is more certain than this morning's sunrise. The church wisely teaches us it is right to be filled with hope as the nights get longer. And I think we lose some of the emphasis of this in our modern technology. Because how many of us, maybe even this past week, have gone on evening walks? We've walked our streets with light posts around us. We walk into our bedrooms, and more often than not, we don't stub our toes because we can flip a switch. But historically speaking, night has been terrifying for humans. Historically speaking, night was a place of trembling and terror. You didn't go on evening walks with your friends. You stayed inside. And yet on Advent, the church would still sing, Oh, holy night. For me, for us to call night holy is a profound statement on the lips of the church. To call that place of terror, of confusion, of darkness, to be able to call that space holy must be because the church had a hope that even in the darkness, we could find Jesus. He arrives. In, in, in the worst points of our life, the darkest points of our history, in the places of our greatest pain, in the greatest pain of our in the places of our greatest despair, loneliness, isolation, injustice, oppression, he arrives. He shows up. And he dwells with us. There was a study done where participants were asked to sit down and to place their feet in freezing cold water. I don't know who signs up for studies like this, but they were just instructed. I want you just to sit there. College students. Yeah, college students who needed some cash. And they were instructed, just see how long you can sit there. And they timed it. 
Then it was the second round of the experiment. And in that second round of the experiment, they didn't sit alone. But they had a friend sit with them. And it was observed that the participants were able to sit in that painful water for a longer period of time just simply by having a friend there with them. What Advent teaches us is that God doesn't just simply arrive, but he moves in. He dwells with us. He sits with us. He arrives in our points of pain, and he just doesn't sit there with us. He spoils the end of the story. I'm coming soon, and all will be made right. There will be no more darkness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. And now, as he sits here with us, he gives us a glimpse of that. And he puts his hand on our face, and currently in this moment, he wipes away the tears and lets us know that there will be a moment where he'll do that one more time and it won't have to ever happen again. And Brittany comes back up, listen to the very last words of scripture. The Bible ends with the same words that our year begins with. Surely, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all of the saints. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and enter into song together.